Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. So enthused to be back here in the NBC Sports Charlotte studios with man, that's a lot of our favorite guest, Steve Otart. Stevie, it's been four months, I think, since you've been on the podcast. That wasn't intentional. Like a fine wine, you just put me on the shelf. <laughs> no, it just it hasn't worked out. Your schedule. You were busy, whoa, whoa, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. My schedule. Don't be that long. <laughs> I feel like we're married. You haven't invited me, and then you blamed it on me. I feel like I invited you at least once. Maybe. No, and April. then you uninvited me. You invited me, <laughs> and then you took Burton, and you uninvited yeah, was, me. Th- well, that was Burton. We're going to put that one on Burton. Sorry, Mayor. <laughs> Jeff really wanted to be Make on the sure first these Atlanta listeners one. get the deal. This was ridiculous. <laughs> I love all you guys. I love all my guests, but we love you especially, Stevie, because you're, you're always willing to come on here and, and give us your thoughts. And we've got a lot to unpack because we are talking on the Monday after the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course Weekend for NASCAR and IndyCar. We have so much to unpack. I'm just going to give you a preview. This is in the time code, so you can see this. But we're going to talk motorsports extravaganza. We're going to talk stunning winner. We're going to talk controversial spin, curbing failures, and track limits. And we're going to talk about a surprise for Michigan next week. So there's a lot to tune into here. But we're going to start, Stevie, with just the feel of this weekend. I heard somebody describe it as a state fair of motorsports, which I love. I, th- I think if they're going to brand this, they should do that. I thought, you know, I wasn't there last year. This was the second year that NASCAR and IndyCar at Indy, same weekend. But there were no fans last year, so right, it didn't even right, really right, matter right, that right. I wasn't there or anybody was, was there because you didn't feel it like I'm sure it felt this year. This year, I felt a lot like the electricity had returned to the Brickyard. You know, this was an event that I felt, you know, we, we see a lot of marketing campaigns, but what it felt like is it felt like Roger Penske, France Family, NBC, IndyCar, I'm trying to name all the players, NASCAR, there's so many people that could have derailed something like this, all put Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the fan base in front of everything else, in front of the money, the profits, the schedules, the planning, the all the reasons why it didn't happen for 20 years or 30 years because there was always a good reason. And I thought the compromise w- was all the way around, right, as far as who ran on what day, who is the, quote, undercard, which, by the way, no one is the undercard, right? You can't all run at the same time, so I disagree completely with the undercard label. And I felt like this one didn't have to be oversold or hyped. It wasn't a version of. It was It was the same track at the most famous racetrack in the world. And it was great. Like, it, it was. It truly was. Like, uh, the garage area is laid out cool. The IndyCar guys were there. Like, there was just so much buzz I it was excited to go, you know. I was excited to see it. I was excited to see the Indy cars on the same track at the same day. Like, my mind can't take a week later. <laughs> so I'd go to stand in the braking zone of Xfinity qualifying or practice, 
And I was like, okay, well, that's kind of what I expect. Then I went and watched IndyCar. And my brain, like, cramped up to see just the difference. It was so much fun for me as a race fan to see this. And the drivers were like kids, right? They were jumping in each other's cars in the garage areas and, like, seeing how they fit. And I saw Dylan getting a car. Like, there was more hesitation about being proactive about COVID protocol than there was anything else, which is how it should be, right? There was no hesitation of, well, what are they going to think if I sit in a NASCAR vehicle? Is my IndyCar brethren going to be unhappy at me? Like, none of that existed. Like, there was it actually... Uh, you know what it reminded me of? It felt like I was at the Rolex. It felt like I was at the Rolex all over again. And for those that have never been to the Rolex, what I love about it is everyone feels like they want to be there. And I know we should all want to be here, but it's the jobs for these race car drivers. Like, you know, you don't always want to go to work. So let's not pretend that being a race car driver is no different. This weekend, I felt like everybody kind of wanted to be there. Some loved the road course. Some were very outspoken. They wanted to be on the oval. Um, but I was excited. I loved it. I thought it was a great layout. The Rolex 24 reminds me a little bit of like spring training. Everybody's yeah. sort of back and everybody's happy, excited. Maybe it has more of a World's Fair type feel where you have all these drivers now, especially the last few years, from different disciplines, IndyCar, NASCAR, sports cars, you know. My tweak would be this. Good crowd Saturday, great crowd Sunday. If I was president of the world, I would find a way that IndyCar and Cup run the same day. I would make IndyCar qualify on Saturday, Cup qualify on Saturday. I would get all three series on the track Saturday for the fans that want to come out, Xfinity race. But I would have the two premier motorsport series in the country run on the same circuit on the same day. That would be my only tweak. I would put them on the same day. I like that. I'd do like a noon or 11 a.m. start. I'd have an hour breakdown between them, and I would re-rack. Because in my mind – so the negative of Indianapolis is it's gigantic. There's like a bazillion seats for the Indy 500. So it was a good crowd. Like I drove around, it was a good crowd. But, you know, it's easy to say, well, that's empty and those grandstands are, well, the place is gigantic. And I think we could really make a dent in that if yeah. we put them both on the same day. I agree with you. Probably had fifty or 60,000, but who knows? They could have yeah. you more. And, you know, I love what you're saying about how trying to wrap your brain around. I love that Indianapolis has these markers that tell you how many oh. feet before you get to the turn. And... Everybody was saying it. That cup cars were breaking at like what? They know, had to add them. Eight, 700, 800. 700 they didn't exist last year. IndyCar was breaking at like 200 yeah, feet. 25 seconds. And yeah, and I, like I would love. I was talking to James Davison about this, who has some experience in both cup and IndyCar, about you know maybe doing like a demonstration session. Yeah. And yeah. putting both vehicles One of each on the same. On the yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Because I, I, I love that idea. It have to be the right two guys. It have to be the same team, like a team Penske, put them both out there. Yeah. Because it'd be dangerous for the IndyCar guy. Just because of the size of the cup car, if there was an issue, it's a lot of energy. 30, when 3,600 pounds wrecks, as we saw with the curbing, a lot of energy. So the big question, Stevie, obviously, is how did it compare to the Brickyard of old? You can't – well, that's not fair. It's not. Well, here, here's what I'll say about this. First, I'll just say Doug Bowles, president of the track of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, said they, they want this event back on the road course. So all those who have been lobbying for the Oval, it's not going to happen in 2022. Sorry. But I'll be honest. I don't think it necessarily lived up to what the Brickyard of old was, but the Brickyard no. has felt less special to me the last few years Listen, I'll be the guy the that says it. Nobody yeah. wants to say it. So the Brickyard never lost polish in the garage area. Right. Every competitor wanted to win the Brickyard because the, the you know the, the biggest names have won it. It's at the biggest track. Like I get it, right? But the fans are over it. I mean, I'll just say it like it is, right? Like we would go there and it was not a bad crowd. It was a non-existent. Right. Like it was how can I go on the air and talk about how great this is yet yeah, nobody comes. Right. I mean, to your point earlier, it's so cavernous when you have 20,000 people in that place, it feels And this funeral. year proved it. So I want to go all the way back to the start of our season. 
derail your podcast here for me. <laughs> it's okay. We come on air at Nashville. I don't care how many people are there because the word is packed. Like, I don't care the number. Like, the number's useless to me. What it was was full. There was no more seats. I looked around. Unbelievable. Pocono. I'm not going to say the seats were full. 70, 80, 90%. Pretty full. Look great. Never have I seen so many campers. Ever at Pocono in my history of going there. Spectacular. Watkins Glen. Sellout. Looks amazing. What that did is remind me what NASCAR was like in the 2000s, right? It was an event. It was full. It was packed. We go to Atlanta. Less than awesome crowd. And it, I felt less excited about the event. Now, remember, the drivers are doing the same thing. The race is the same. Yeah. I, as a broadcaster, felt less excited. And I'm like, well, this isn't cool. Like, I don't know why. I'm trying to be hyped up. I'm trying to do my job. But it just didn't feel as great. Right? We go to New Hampshire. They're down to one race now. Nobody loved that from New Hampshire. But, man, they come out and fill the stands for one race, even losing their opportunity to sell to the great Canadian fans because of COVID and the, and the border and yada, yada, yada. You know, yet it was still good. So, so to your point, the Brickyard 400 ran its course. I'm sorry. And to all these drivers, I do have empathy that they do not have the chance to go win the Brickyard 400 like some of their heroes. But Indianapolis has to be on the circuit, has to be on the schedule. It's too great of a city, too great of an area, too great of a venue. So I applaud the, the run at the road course. Let's try it. Why not? I think the first year for the Cup Series went really well, aside from the finish, which we're going to get to. But I'm going to stay on the positive tip right now, and let's talk about the winners. College Racing and A.J. Allmendinger. You know how hard it is to work with a team that's trying to scratch its way in the Cup Series, the work you've done with Spire Motorsports. What does this do for college racing, which already is, is entering into the Cup Series in 2022, but now to have this victory in this big track? You know, so the interesting thing is when you look at college racing, I don't know the number, but I'd love to know how many partners end up on his car that he owns or controls or is on the board of. So Matt Collig is spending a lot of his money and a lot of his own company's monies to run that organization. What I think this can do is, you know, this, is, this really helps the old sizzle reel. Right, like when you start going into boardrooms now, Justin Haley, we know, is their full-time driver. It's yet to be announced who's in their second car. I think they have led on to say that Almendinger will at least run some road courses, even if it's not in their second charter car. Instantly, they become uh, a more legitimate conversation. They're more legitimate now for Chevrolet. They've earned manufacturer's points. They have a great sizzle reel to go to their partners. Hiring, you know, you got to remember, if you had two cup teams, you got to hire a lot of people. All of those things are now easier to do. So, I, listen, I was happy for Matt Collig. The guy has put so much time and money into this NASCAR thing. We've seen so many teams that look great on paper dissolve, uh, run out of money, mismanage, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but this Collig organization, they're, they're, you know, I was happy. Look, they, made a, they bought two charters. That's a huge check. Big investment. And for Almendinger, I mean, obviously we're biased. I mean, we've worked with the guy. AJ is just you, – you can't not like the guy. I mean, he's got an infectious personality. Great. And now, I don't know if he gets credit for what he's doing as a driver at age 39, Stevie. I mean, I was looking up his road course stats earlier today. I mean, four starts now in the Cup Series, three top tens, a victory at Indianapolis, qualified third at Road America. I mean, what does so it say about my, AJ? Well, so, well, first of all, I think AJ's uber-talented. We've said this. But a happy having fun AJ is uber-talented. You and I saw the non-having fun AJ a few years ago in the Cup Series, right? I think he would admit... He wasn't driving the best equipment, but then it got to a point where I don't think he was putting his best foot forward, not even consciously, just he was not having fun. And nobody can do a job that's they're miserable. So I'm super happy for AJ. I just hope that this doesn't skew anybody's plans, right? Like what makes AJ so much fun is when he's having fun. Now, that's a, that doesn't mean he has to have great days. He was miserable Saturday, could have won the race. Like, don't confuse what I'm saying. You know, doesn't have to have good days. But overall, he has to be having fun with what he's doing. 
and he's having a good time by the looks of it. So I, so I hope that this doesn't lead him into doing something that he doesn't want to do, right? Whether that's full-time cup, whether that's full-time Xfinity, whether it's expanded schedule, I don't know. I love to see him driving all the different stuff he drives, and I think it's good for motorsport when a guy like AJ does cross over to different things. So AJ Allmendinger wins the race because Denny Hamlin gets spun out of the lead by Chase Briscoe, who is then parked by NASCAR, because on what turned out to be the final restart, Briscoe cuts uh, turn two, goes through the grass, and doesn't serve a stop and go. And I really want to get your crew chief experience on this one, and you can take us through how this should have worked, because Briscoe claimed that he didn't know he was under penalty. I don't think he realized. I didn't even know I had a penalty until we got to turn 10. You know, I asked my spotter after the race, and didn't didn't ever hear, but we got to turn 10 and actually exited 10, and that's when he said, hey, we got to stop in turn 10. I even came on the radio. I said, which one's 10? And then I, I just tried stopping down there because I didn't know if that would make up for it or not. And, yeah, I mean, I, I get wise upset. I would have been upset too. If I would have known I had a penalty, I would have never even tried to pass him there because it, it would have not meant anything. But as far as I knew, at that moment in time, I was going for the win. So you know, that's what I'm paid to do, and, and that's what I was trying to do. So are you telling me that when you ultimately had contact and turned him, that wasn't retaliation for him running wide or anything else? No, not at all. You know, I felt like I, I wanted to beat him fair and square. I don't, I don't ever want to wreck anybody for the win. I've never wrecked anybody on purpose in my life. So, you know, I just, I, I knew that a lot of guys had been leaving that bottom lane open, and and I almost got passed by Cinder there last year. So I knew that was a spot where a lot of guys were kind of just lazy and they forget about it. So I went to turn off underneath him, and when I did, I just nicked him in the right rear quarter, and it turned him the other way, and. Like I said, I, I totally get why he's mad. You know, I would have been the same way, but yeah, that was never my intention to wreck him. I, I had no reason to wreck him. So he was continuing to race Hamlin for the lead after he cut turn two. NASCAR has said that they're going to review the radio communications to see how the information was relayed from spotter to driver because Dale Jr. said it on our broadcast before they reached turn seven that Chase Briscoe is going to face a stop and go here. So, Kirchie's <laughs> perspective, like, so. did did someone err here in terms of the team relaying the information? Do you buy that Chase Briscoe didn't know? What's going on here? I put this one on Chase. So, if he would have gone down in there, cooked it a little hot, and missed track limits by two feet, you know, had the wrong tires on the wrong side of the curb, I don't want to get into the details of it, missed it by two feet and didn't know, then I'd be like, how would he have known? It was really close. Maybe you should have known. The man went Mario Kart through the grass. So first, I think while we get to the curbing and all the track limits, I think Indianapolis Motor Speedway could needs to look at that. There shouldn't be a physical opportunity for a driver to shortcut the course. My point being, I'm okay that there's runoff, and I'll, I'm okay that he had grass. But I would like to see some offset tire packs, not that he's going to run into, with some nice branding on there, that he has to slow down and S around. Therefore, he can't pop out on the other side next to Denny Hamlin. He's going to pop out on the other side in like 15th or 20th. Then we don't have to have stop and go. right? So if you say you miss turn one and you go straight, there is an access road that allows you to come back to turn two with no stop and go. You don't have to stop because for you to S around that road, NASCAR goes, we know you're going to lose 10 or 20 <laughs> spots, so we're not worried about it. Same thing for turn 12. So he was in no man's land, right? He didn't just miss the curve, and he didn't do the access road. He went straight through the grass. Yeah. I mean, you can't shortcut it that much, in my opinion. I would love to hear the radio as well. I've yet to hear it. I don't know who spots for Briscoe at that end of the racetrack because it can be complicated with multiple spotters. But I think Chase Briscoe, you know, I think it's a little naive to think that he had to wait for someone to tell him that he had pushed it too far. I do believe as we continue, I don't blame Indy. I would have never said it before, but now that we've seen this, I think we should rack to it. I'd like to see a couple offsetting tire barriers, or I don't even care if it's promotional signage, something that forces the guy, when he gets down in the grass, he has to like slow down, turn left, turn right, rejoin the field, 
Then way we don't have to worry about stop and goes. Like wherever he comes back on the track, hammer down, good to go. Because yeah. he was able to just slide pretty much right through the grass. I mean, obviously he lifted off a little bit, but he uh, came yeah, out right next to him. One that shouldn't be possible. <laughs> the lead. Yeah, he should have popped happen. out somewhere tenth, fifteenth. We don't have to worry about stop and goes. Let's let's make track limits only be when you barely miss it. There shouldn't be an opportunity for literally to go straight. Does the team bear any responsibility in making sure the driver knows the penalty and that sort of situation? Sure. I mean, the yeah. crew chief, the spotter, all of those do. And the crew chief has got to be watching on TV because he can't see it down there. But, you know, it's chaotic on the radio. I mean, someone should have informed him on the long backstretch. I mean, that's, I don't know how long that is, six, eight seconds of wide open throttle, that you're going to have a penalty. We're going to have to serve a penalty. We're going to have to serve a penalty. Um, but in the end... I mean, the race car driver needs to know where the track limits are. Like, I think it should have been clear that he had to have – I mean, even Denny was kind of like, come on, man. Like, yeah. you didn't think that was a penalty? Seems a little bit impossible. And then, then, <laughs> then so say I'll go one further. I'm kind of at, at, at odds with him wrecking, hitting Denny Hamlin square in the bumper, even if he was going for the win. His words after the race were it was something about turn 10, that guys were leaving the door open. Correct, and, and that's kinda, where Denny Block left because right, he knew that was the right. door was open. Yeah, that was uh, – Chasey's whole explanation was – well, guys were kind of getting lazy off that corner, and I thought I could slide in underneath mm -hmm. them and just, you know, break out, break mm -hmm. them. But yeah, you watch so the video. So congratulations, you didn't get lazy, so I ran you over. <laughs> exactly. like, wait a minute. You watch the video, and it's like, well, Denny didn't leave you an opening, so Correct. what were you doing? Like, uh, like I, where I, do you hit the brakes? So there? I like Chase, and and I know how much it means to him or whatever. But you know, I was the guy that was on the TV call when Ty Gibbs won at Watkins Glen, and I was so happy the way he did it. I'm sorry, like Chase didn't drive in there and run over his fender, hit him in the door. He hit him in the bumper cover. He pile-driven. He just spun yeah. him out. He yeah. just spun him out. Clearly yeah. spun him out. Whether it was malicious on purpose, doesn't matter. He still spun him out. I was shocked at how Denny handled it. It's funny, though, because as he was talking, all I saw was him dumping Chase Elliott at Martinsville. In my head, I just kept seeing it. And that's like, I love yeah. I can't wait to talk to Denny. Be like, yeah. is that what you were thinking about yeah. when you said I've been on both sides of this? Chase standing there going, you wrecked me. And Denny you going, wrecked me. you're right. You're I'm right. sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, uh, I was amazed at how he handled it, but I, I I like Chase, so it's hard to like call him out. Yeah, you got me, man. I got nothing for you. You went right. straight through the grass. You should have known it was a penalty. One, two. I don't put the onus on the team or the spot. You went straight through the grass. You didn't miss it by two feet, and then you hit the guy square in the bumper and you wrecked him. So he's a rookie. Chalk up to a learning experience. Yeah, I guess. yeah. I mean, which is too bad because now listen. I'm okay with the move, but let's not make it sound like he just missed the corner. I mean, Denny ran him off track, but that's... But that's what happens when you're on the outside yeah, going to turn yeah, on I mean, restart, right? Yeah. The leader, you sort of have that prerogative to, to force the, the issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Denny for a moment. Now you bring that up. I saw a lot of that on social, that people were impressed with the, w the composure he showed, the class he showed, the way he handled it. I think a lot of people thought we, this was going to be a fist fight, and it wasn't. I mean, Denny made it his point very firmly. You were in the wrong, but he didn't necessarily raise his voice too much. He didn't get animated. He just let it play out. Is that a side of Denny Hamlin that maybe we don't see a few years ago because now he's the team owner? I, you know, I, I do think that all has to do with it. He's now in a lot more meetings than he's ever been in from all the different hats he wears. And he's vocal in the garage area. He has every right to be, right? He, he's a superstar. I hope that there's a second conversation, right? Because it happened at Pit Road, probably had to happen. But now, like, surely we're not just going to go drop the green at Michigan, right? Like, if I'm Chase, I reach probably back out Thursday or Friday and be like, hey, man, I went back and reviewed it. I went back and watched it. Here's my opinion now. You know, because Denny got to be Denny because I don't know who the veterans were when he came in. I'd have to go look. Bobby Labonte, probably Dale Jarrett's, the whoever's. Well, now he's those guys. And Briscoe's great. He's going to be there for a long time, right? So 
So I, I like the fact that Denny doesn't need another enemy in this world. So what does he do stomping up and down? What I mean, what does that do for him? I mean, nothing changes the, the thing. So you're right. I mean, it's Denny Hamlin was a rookie in 2006, so this would be his 16th season in the Cup Series. And you're right. Like the guys, Jeff Gordon, Dale Jarrett, those guys still would have been right. around and probably molding him at that mm-hmm. point in an indirect way. Tony Stewart was his yeah. teammate, obviously. Yeah, interesting thought there. So it felt like two races, Stevie. <laughs> the first 75 laps or so were terrific. I thought this road course, you know, we were talking before we started taping this, as you put it, was was beautiful in terms of layout. It had everything I wanted. And yeah, the, the way it sort of in, engendered like some really strong racing. You had guys spinning out, you had guys leaning on each other, you didn't have full course yellows. The curbing was being worked on a little bit. It wasn't failing until lap 78. And then things really turned ugly with the curbing failure in turn six and two red flags, nearly an hour of no green flag racing because there was also some track cleanup issues we're not going to get into. But essentially, the. Well, we should, those, are, those bother me more than the curbing, but do go they? ahead. Well, let's talk about that then for a minute because a lot so of the much problem time here and was. Money <laughs> is spent on safer barriers and safety. Yes. It's time to work on cleaning up wrecks and cleaning up oil. I don't, I'm, I'm not smart enough. But just like the safer barriers that we went to Nebraska and said, hey, there's smart people all over the world. I'm ready for NASCAR to say, hey, guys, here's our last 20 years. Here's what our delays look like, right? Because we have a new car. So now with the underpan, does the oil stay in the underpan? Like, I don't know, right? Like, so I'm, I'm going to be the guy on record to say, I don't know what it looks like next year. But let's take our biggest delays, cars stuck together, blah, 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 blah. How do we get back racing quicker? I don't know the answer, but someone needs to look at it whether it's different wreckers, different rollbacks, different this, different material, different ways to captivate fluid. I don't care what it is, but it's the delays are way too long. It's got to get beyond just kitty litter way too on long. a track to try way to dry up. And, and my point is, I wish I could say, oh, well, the guy didn't do it right, or NASCAR didn't do it. No, man, there was oil everywhere. I don't know what else they do. My point is something has to be developed. Like it isn't, I don't think it's like a new system. I think it's how do we, like how do we do this better? So some sort of materials. Something, I don't know. I don't know, but if someone would have said, you know, 30 years ago, we're going to put two walls side by side with foam in the middle, I'd been like, man, you're a genius. Why wouldn't, you know, my, that's my point is so it has to be looked at from a group of people that are waste, that, that aren't trying to go fast or run a race. Yeah. Like it needs to be worried about somebody be like, hey, this is your only job. You know, I mean, we just sent people to space. They need to find the highway safety equivalent that did the safety that's all I'm saying. of. That's all I'm saying. Making like, let's let's, let's use some, some fundamental improvements. I like it. All right. Well, that took up about probably... 20 minutes, 25 minutes, unfortunately, of, again, this hour-long delay for the curbs. But it was primarily the curbs. And we talked about it before we started going here. So let's just resume that conversation. Just uh, take me through it. Like, when did you start noticing the the problems? I never would have even dreamt. I thought when William Byron wrecked, something on his car broke because of the curbing. I never thought it was the curbing broke and destroyed his car. I thought it was the car they had given up. Um, I knew they had worked on it. Doug Bowles, I'm going to defend him. He came up. The first time they were working on it in the one of the stage breaks, walked in the TV booth, stood there right next to me. I hit the cough button. Here's a track president's come in. Wasn't hiding it. He said, hey, there's some damage there. We're going to weld it. This is what we're going to do, blah, 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 blah. Like he was, in my opinion, on top of this, there's some sort of something going on with the curbing, right? And they obviously felt there was a repair or I, I, I don't know, but he didn't hide from it. He came to us to tell us. We didn't really tell the fans because there was no delay. They did such a nice job that by the time the pit cycle happened, we were ready to go racing again. Never would I have dreamt the curbing could have failed like that. Listen, it's easy to blame, whatever, but I've talked to all the same people. They inspect the curbing. It's been there since 14. Sometimes bad stuff just happens and it's unlucky, and I'm going to chalk this one up. 
thankful they did such a great job in all the other areas. Joey Logano took a massive hit and said it wasn't that bad with the tire pack. So all of the other things, the cars were, were all you know handled pretty well. I was amazed how quickly they actually removed the turn and cleaned it up. I question moving forward if that curbing's even needed. Dale Jr. and I had this conversation. I would love to see the design if that curbing and that other jump gets removed and you put the curbing all the way over by the grass. It becomes a much faster straightaway, but I think there's more opportunity for two and three wide down in a turn seven. That's my opinion. I didn't drive it. We just had 80-something drivers over two races. I would love to get their opinions, right? Because they're way smarter than I'll ever be about driving, right? Ask Kyle Larson. Ask William Byron. Ask Joey Logano. Ask poor Corey LaJoy that went for the jump. Ask Bubba Wall uh, how he got to drivers right there. You know, yeah. survey everyone and see what they think. And drivers were surveyed. I, you, know, you, you pointed out, I'll just reaffirm it, that Doug Bowles said that since they reconfigured the road course when they brought cars into a road course race in May in 2014, seven years, they've had no problems with these curbs before. No problems in the Xfinity races as well. No problems in the Xfinity test that they did. So th- this was something that just popped up in the cup race. But one thing that was interesting, Stevie, was when they restarted the race, they took out the turn six curb, but they left this sausage yeah, curb of didn't 90 like degrees. <laughs> and yeah, that was the ramp, what you just talked about. Corey LaJoy got airborne. Michael McDowell on the second to last restart, he caught some air and, and started a multi-car crash. I mean, millions of dollars of equipment were unfortunately destroyed <laughs> by these final three cautions of this race. So Scott Miller said they had to leave that ramp in because if they take it out, then cars can go 10 or 15 miles an hour faster. But to your point that you and Dale Jr. were talking about, it sounds like you think there might be a better way that they could do this and just so take out that curb. Completely. I would like to see turn six eliminated. The curbing moved all you back. They are. Scott Miller's not wrong. They're going way faster because they're going to be just wide open through there now. Um, I think it would make for better racing, in my opinion. There is a caveat that turn seven is a sketchy-looking runoff because there's not a lot of room back there, and there's stacked-up tire barriers. So this is an uneducated, non-racetrack owner making this statement. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would have to – someone would have to say they're confident with what happens if we have a major off in seven, like a brake failure off, um, because we don't want to lead into something else. But if they went 15 miles an hour faster – ratios and stuff wise are that's probably the same speed as the front stretch so it's more of just what the runoff looks like in seven and that's my bigger concern but i don't think you need it let them man yeah. let them barrel off in there two three wide future fixes just discuss concrete them there. concretes that's that's the concrete other thing. scott miller said they're they're on sirius xm radio today he said they're definitely looking at concrete and asphalt permanent curbing i, I don't d- know why not i mean like I, where well, that i think is the problem is where that part of the course is that's part of the track that we normally when they're using the oval that's what we drive <laughs> that's the road we drive on to get to the compound so i mean i guess you could put you could put permanent things in there and just cover it, right? I mean, that would probably be a solution. Fine. If you moved yeah. it all the way to grass, you wouldn't hit it. Concrete. Concrete curbing. I mean, look at Watkins Glen. And listen, even that's not a solution. you got to chunk up the concrete. I mean, it's unfortunate, you know, but, but it's, it's the most meticulously cared for track, in my opinion, in the world. I mean, the place is unbelievable. So I'm going to believe what they tell me. When Doug Bowles said we inspected them, we didn't see anything. We did, like, I'm going to take them for face value. I mean, some things are just unfortunate, and this is one of them. Um, and unfortunately, that's what everybody's going to remember about this race because that was the end when the most people were watching and everything. Um, you know, because and, I'm going to give it to NASCAR, right? So there was some curbing added drivers left that was in there for the Xfinity Series race, and they destroyed, I don't know how many cars on the first lap. And NASCAR came back and said, okay, we're going to take that out. <laughs> right. So, hey, you know, so they're listening. Like, they're not stubborn. They're like, oh, 
We put it in there. Now, everybody practiced. I don't want to make it sound like this just appeared for the race. But, you know, practice is different than racing. We got racing 2-3 wide. We got shoved over there, and holy smokes, it's destroying cars. We have to find a way to enforce track limits without destroying race cars. Now, listen, I'm the same guy that says we have to keep them on the track. Like, I don't like all the runoff at Watkins Glen that they're using. I'd like to see warning tracks. I'd like to see three feet of asphalt, three feet of kitty litter, three feet of asphalt, three feet of kitty litter. So when you go over there, you know, it's not going to be great. But, but like, that Corey LaJoy car is thrown away. It's a throwaway. Like, it's destroyed. Mike McDowell's car is a throwaway. So, you know, like, we can't be having that. Probably at least eight cars that went in the trash, and we're talking at least yeah. $2 million. Yeah, I don't in, Yeah, a in lot. That, in that case. You bring up track limits. I mean, Scott Miller talked about that as well after the race. Well, you know, that's something that I, I think that we'll have to look at. Certainly in other, other racing series, they go there. These stock cars, you know, they slide around a lot more. It's kind of up a lot of racetrack and we've had a tendency like at Sonoma and the other road courses to, to kind of let track limits you know not really be a penalty thing it would be very hard from the tower to kind of enforce track limits I think so um, it's something that we have talked about before we may have some further discussion about that but really kind of a difficult thing to manage I mean, how much responsibility do the drivers bear for just pounding that curb so much? Obviously, that's what causes the delamination. Uh, I can't. Nope. Fastest way around the track is to hit that curb, jump over the thing, and go to the other side. You've designed a track that if you don't hit the curb, this is a joke. But if you put those curbs in the bus stop at Watkins Glen, the lap's three seconds slower, I bet. Three seconds. Watch them at Watkins Glen. Forget the bus stop. Turning into the bus stop. Everybody listen to this. Go to YouTube. Get a lap at Watkins Glen. When you turn driver's right into the bus stop, you just missed the Armco. Your inside, your left side tires are on the middle of the right side curb. They, they're nowhere near the asphalt. So Scott Miller's not wrong. Hey, the drivers still have to run the track. But you built a track that if you hit the jump to go over the big other one, land on the other side, you're faster. <laughs> so it's not necessarily about you feel like enforcing driver etiquette in some sort of way. Like, hey, let's, let, you know, let's have gentlemen's agreements about how we're going to race this course. Don't go here. Don't go there. You, no. f- you show me a gentleman that drives. <laughs> I'll let you know. Yeah. How about this? You show me a gentleman that drives. I don't want him to drive for me. It's all about building the infrastructure to make sure that. And, th- and my point, let's be honest now, this, this course is really close. Yes. Yes. Like if, if you went and you had asked me on Friday, what's going to be the corner complex? that's going to be the biggest issue. Never would have, I got to turns five and six, you know, I'd be like, Ooh, turn one and turn seven. And that turn 12 and da, 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 da. And everything happened in five and six. So I just think that, listen, we have a bigger sample set now. Like, it's okay. I don't want people to panic. Like, you know, now if we come back with the same exact curb and same thing, I'd be like, oh, did y'all watch? Right? <laughs> my, my point is I have the belief in IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway and NASCAR and the NASCAR drivers that, that I believe this is going to be improved. We're going to go there with something different. I don't know what it is. I have my opinions, but they're just my opinion. I mean, the smart guys are going to look at it. It's okay. I have one more question. It's somewhat philosophical about this issue. And the mayor, I thought, made a great point on our broadcast. Jeff Burton said at one point during the lengthy delay, he said, hey, the course has already been altered. This was after they took out the turn six curbing. I think this was after uh, the first restart, before the final restart. Burton said, the course is already altered. I don't know how much more you can alter it and say it's still the same race. And that notion, that concept occurred to me last night as I was reading like on social, people suggesting, oh, well, they shouldn't have had them do double file restarts. That would have made it easier. I would have been better if they would have just thrown the checker. That's what. That's how I feel. Like, I'm okay. I don't think we got to what Jeff was talking about. I yeah. do. Don't completely disagree with him. It was still close enough for me. But I also would have been just fine after that big accident if they said, "That's it. We're going to check or flag it right here because we don't believe that the track is in a safe enough manner to continue." 
That's great. That's all I have to hear. That's sort of how I felt. And maybe after the lap 75 caution, maybe after Truex and Parr gets destroyed, like maybe at that point it's no moss. I would have been okay with that. Yeah. Okay. So we're moving on to Michigan. We've been talking about track prep, and you audibly chuckled two months ago when I mentioned the word resin and that NASCAR was going to put this down for Nashville. So I think there was some skepticism, understandably, justifiably from you and others about how that resin and tire dragon would work at Nashville. It seemed like it worked really well for the Xfinity race. It seemed like I think it had a good impact on the cup race. And now Scott Miller says that's how they're going to treat the track at Michigan National Speedway this weekend. They're going to drag tires, use that resin. What's your take? You think this is good? I'm going to be a dumb patron who orders a soup. Don't care how it's made. Just care how it tastes. <laughs> I don't have to work on the setups. I don't have to figure out how to get around the track. I'm going to go up there and see a green flag on Saturday for the Xfinity Series race, and I'm going to figure it out from there. I, I mean, I, know, I don't mean to cop out for the answer, but I, I didn't understand the sticky stuff. I don't understand the resin. I don't have to. Thank goodness for my new job, knock on wood, not my problem. I do think that Nashville was racier than I ever thought it would be. So if someone feels that's the reason, I'm all for it. So, but you're still just not completely sold on the idea of treating tracks, even though it seemed to have a somewhat positive impact at Nashville. Yeah, maybe that's where I'm at. I, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I saw some great sealer races at Richmond. You know, like we didn't talk about it back then. We used to seal Richmond every year. Um, and if the f- fans at home don't think it matter, man, you better put like three spring rubbers in that thing because when the sealers started coming off, you'd push them in one every 50 laps. Like it was a totally different racetrack. So like that was a big change. So I don't know if this is any different. No, I guess my point is I'm okay with it. Yeah. I'm sick of talking about it. I'm with I, you I, on that. Does that make sense? So no, my I'm point totally is kind of that. this. If the people who are in charge of that think that's the best way, great. And I'm yeah. glad they don't hide behind it. They tell us. But let's not talk but about it. But it's not the story. <laughs> yeah. The, the story, story is, the is not the track. The story yeah. is the 40 guys are going to strap yeah. in there and run a buck 93 wide into turn one with two races left in the playoffs. Like, resin, no resin. I, I, I'm kind of – I don't yeah. need to talk about I'm it. ambivalent about it, which I totally get. I am. Speaking of those guys, two races left, like you said. This is 550 horsepower race. Mm-hmm. Hendrick's been really good at these races. Are you expecting to see – after they didn't have the greatest day on the road course by having strong cars, do you think we'll see a rebound? I do. I feel like you're going to have three Hendrick cars and two Gibbs cars in your top five. Pencil it in. Right. Probably have four Hendrick cars and four Gibbs cars in the top 12. So we're probably going to have to wait till Daytona if we want to see another playoff surprise winner. Probably no college-style um, racing upset. Well, it could still happen, a late race restart, anything that's possible. But Daytona's the one. I mean, Michigan's still going to have a great driving car and all that. Daytona's the one that would keep me up at night if I was uh, Tyler Reddick. All right. Well, hey, uh, really appreciate you coming back and coming on. I promise we won't go this long for next time. Hey, listen, it's a lot of fun. I hope everybody enjoyed the road course. It was it was a good time. I do hate the curb came apart, uh, but it's got all the right makings. The roll's going to be good. There's a lot of good things. I'm excited. Okay, quick outro today. Just want to say a big thanks to Steve Letarte, as always, for coming by, joining the NASCAR NBC podcast, giving us so much great insight, so much of his time before he did NASCAR American Motormouth. So thanks, as always, to Stevie for coming by. Thanks as well to NBC Sports producers Aaron Feldstein, Emily Conboy, and Trevor Gavin for always their help with the coordination and recording of the podcast. And the NASCAR NBC podcast is available wherever you download podcasts. Please leave us a rating and review to help spread the word. And any feedback you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast.
Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.